0: would go around the house singing Christ the Lord is risen today Uh, and 10 minutes later I'd be walking through the house helping with something singing "Mm -hmm 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 -hmm." I would get so mad at her she'd do this on purpose so Easter would come around she'd sing silent night you love it I'll deal with you afterwards so so uh so I decided I'm going to do one more Christmas song for you today. I wonder if this Christmas they'll begin to understand That Jesus that they celebrate is much more than a man. Because the way the world is, I can't see how people can deny. The only way to save us was for Jesus Christ to die. And I know that if Saint Nicholas was here, he would agree. Jesus gave the greatest gift of all to you and me. They led him to the slaughter on a hill called Calvary. Mankind was forgiven, and mankind was forgiven, Mankind was forgiven when they nailed Him to the tree. Most of all the children, they're the ones I hope will learn. Jesus is our Savior and He's going to return. It's not just a holiday and all days aren't the same. Perhaps they'll think about the word and see it spells his name. And I know that if St. Nicholas was here, he would agree that Jesus gave the greatest gift of all to you and me they led him to the slaughter on a hill called Calvary and mankind was forgiven mankind was forgiven we were all forgiven when they nailed him to the tree so Merry Christmas Merry Christmas well Jesus did a new thing Uh, the Lord had done a new thing in the nation of Israel Sometimes even your pastors forget it, right? Uh, how many of you are sitting in the same seats you were sitting in last week? How are you sitting? How many of you are sitting pretty close to those seats? How many of you go to the same spot every time you come into the church? You don't want to admit it, I know. It's the old folks who say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I'm a creature of habit." And you young people, you say. Well, I don't want to appear to be like the old people, so I'm not raising my hand. Uh, So here's what I'd like to do. I would like you to all move at least three spaces away from the seat you're in right now. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I mean, I'm making it easy. I'm not making you switch sides. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Okay, all right, come on, don't take all day, let's go. Now I know that, uh, now wait a minute, I didn't give you permission to talk. Let's go. This, I got to tell you, I love this. Uh, Pastor Jason, Pastor Joe, if you are watching this, you have to do this because this is awesome. The middle is filled. I love it. This is great having this kind of power. I'll tell you the why we, I did this today, because this is we're celebrating the new Year, right? Happy New Year, everybody. And I just want you to know that there's a new thing happening, and the new thing is not that you have to stay in these, stay in these seats next week. But uh, I would like to tell you a little story in this new thing that has occurred this morning. Uh, it was years ago I had a good friend in Ohio it was a pastor. His name was Jim. And Jim uh, moved, went into a new church. And in that new church, uh, the folks had built this church, and it was not really growing much. Uh, he was a young pastor. It was an older congregation. And he was, it was just uh, chomping at the bit to have great things happen for God. And uh, new people started coming into the church as he was going out into the community and meeting people and inviting them to church. And, and they were excited and were coming in, and they would sit down in, a, in one of the pews. And as they were coming in, people, uh, the people who had built the church, when they donated the money for the church, they had their names engraved in the seats. Their names were engraved in the seats. Teresa, I can't get used to you over here. I was looking for you over there. Okay, so anyhow, the people in the church, as new people were coming in and sitting down, didn't know anything about the traditions of that church, they were sitting in these people who come in and it was their seat, it was their pew, their name was on it and they would just stare at people <laughs> and make them feel uncomfortable. And the, people were, the new people were so upset at how they were made to feel that they were leaving, they weren't coming back. So Jim had a great idea and one Sunday morning he got some of the men in his church who who were with him and were on his side and they had all the pews out on the front stoop as the people were pulling into the church. And as each family pulled in who had their names in the pews they took axes over and Jim would take an axe over and he took it to the pews and he says we're tearing down the idols. We're tearing down the gods. And it was interesting the people were so offended. The old folks, the people who had bought and paid for those views, they were so offended they just drove off, never came back. That morning, the people who stayed sat on old rickety chairs or some sat on the floor and you know within eight months, revival had come to that church. And I'm looking and I'm saying, what do you have your name on that is old, not new? And Because throughout the scripture, the Lord said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'll put a new heart in, a heart of flesh, and not a heart of stone. I'll take that heart of stone out, give them a new heart. Uh, the scripture says in Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Doesn't say he's just fixed up a little, he's new. And so as all this is going on, my question as I continue this is to ask you, what new resolutions have you made over the last couple days? And what old resolutions have you made in past years and within a week they were dead and gone? I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to use more makeup. I'm going to tell better jokes. And then no matter how hard you try, your jokes never get any better. You tell the jokes, and people just won't laugh at your jokes. I don't have that problem. But many do. The Israelites were a people who'd been chosen by God to set apart to be set apart for him, to do a new work, a new thing, a, a, a new commitment, and God had done mighty things to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They've been captives for 400 years. It didn't start off that way, but the new thing for them was that they began fearing the Jews. They began to fear Israel because they were growing and being blessed by God. And so uh, as you make your decisions this year, my question is, will you make a new commitment to be faithful to him, to serve him with all your heart? Now, a little history lesson very short, but when Moses was told to send in spies, to spy out the promised land, anybody remember how many sent? How many? Yell it out. Twelve spies. Can you name them? What two can you name? You're blank. First thing to go is the memory. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, name the other Ten. You know why? Because the 10 that came back with an evil report, the 10 that came back negative, are not remembered. We're going to find out what happened to them. Uh, Would you turn up, well, if you have your Bibles, or uh, we have the Scripture in the back. I'm not used to all the Scripture being up there for me, so thanks very much. I couldn't even remember to turn on the mic so you guys in the booth know you're in trouble today. Uh, Numbers 13 And I was so nervous this morning, I didn't even bring my glasses. So you know how bad I am with my glasses. I don't like to admit it in front of everybody. Uh, But in Numbers 13, 27, and they told him and said, we came into the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. And they were carrying grapes back. It took two men to carry the whole cluster of grapes. They saw all these different things that were going on, and that the Lord had blessed the land, and the Lord said uh, through Moses, go check out the land, find what it's all about. So Moses chooses one from every tribe. They return with the fruit from the land and a description of how, how awesome the land is. Uh, there's only one problem. Uh, did, did I give you, ask you to go on through numbers there for me? Do, give me the next verse. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land, The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, giants. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, one of the two that's remembered. Caleb says, let's go up at once right now and possess this land for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. Uh, let me just say, I was never a fighter. When I went through school, I avoided fights at all costs. Some of you guys are pretty big. Moore, you're a big guy. Even when you were pulling stuff on the basketball court back when you were a teenager, I wouldn't mess with you because you were bigger than me, and you were stronger, unless you really got me mad. <laughs> and then I'd say, "More, I'm, I'm coming after you. Bill, here I am. Uh And they brought up an evil report on the land that they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search, it's a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. I'm sorry, it's not on the back. Okay. They're men of great stature. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. This is part of their report. And there we saw giants, sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Right there, stop for a second, and let me just tell you that in Christ, if you are in Christ, you do not look at things and say, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. You look at people and say, listen, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, I was a shrimp, but now I'm a giant in God. Now he has control of my life. And there we saw the giants, the sons, which come of the giants. And we were like grasshoppers. That's how they viewed themselves. Well, just so you know, we are not grasshoppers in God's sight. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross for grasshoppers, for people who were nothing or nobody. Nobody. He came and he saw value in you. And you've heard that old saying that if you were the only person alive, Jesus would have still come and died on the cross. Haven't you? Do you believe it? I only heard of a couple of yeses. I heard an amen and a couple of yeses. If you really believe that, your whole view of yourself changes. If you really believe that, you look and you say, I am important in God's sight. I might not, might not be much in the world, but to God, I'm the apple of his eye. I, and I'm rejoicing in that. That deserves a hand clap for Jesus and for God because he views you that way. And just so you know, if anybody who's, who's listening to this today who does not know Jesus, I want you to know that you are the apple of his eye too. He died for you too. It's just that you are not responding to him. You're not seeking him. So the people are stronger. The land is stronger. Now, if you look... At chapter 14, verse 30. Okay. I'm throwing you a curve, I realize that. One more back, if you can. Doubtless you shall not come into the land... Concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Why did he do that? Because they were the only ones with a faithful, positive, good report for God. If you, there's a new thing that needs to occur in this land and in our church this day, in this new year, uh, the thing that needs to happen is that we need to stop doubting God. Stop questioning what he's doing and just say, yes, Lord, your will. Whatever you ask, whatever you want. Uh, so uh, we're gonna go back to where I told you we were at before and that number's 19, 31, 32, and 33. Okay, I'm switching you back. Here we go. I did not mean to throw you that curve. Jason, this is Pastor Jason's chance to go grab a Coke he's watching one video right but your little ones which said you said would be a prey them will i bring in your children and they will know the land which you have despised the people of god despised the land what caused them to despise it this their view of those who were there already But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. This is what God says. Because you could not give a good report, because you could not give a positive report, you will die in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in this wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses are wasted in the wilderness. Listen to me, friends. Church, check this out. God, if you refuse to trust him, and you def- refuse to hold on to him, he'll still save your children. He'll still work on your family and save those who, were, who are faithful and were young and were not yet taught to be disobedient. Tell me, how many of your cho- uh, you parents take your children and say to them, you, I told you to do the dishes and you're doing them. What's wrong with you? I told you to take the trash out and you took it out. Are you crazy? Do you teach your children to disobey? Do you? You don't have to teach your children to disobey. There are those who argue that we are not born with a sin nature. Well, if you argue, if you have that argument, you've never had children. Because about the age of two, they start disobeying and you don't have to teach them to do it. If you want them to obey, obey, you want them to be obedient, respectful children, you teach them to do it. But if you want them to be disobedient, don't teach them anything. And if you don't teach them anything, they will be disobedient. You know it yourself. I'm not telling you anything new today. And so uh, it's, it's interesting that in all of this, uh, you're looking for Numbers fourteen eleven, gang. Numbers fourteen eleven. Uh, all these signs that the Lord says I have done and they have immediately forgotten what I've done. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs that I have showed among them, all the miracles that got them out of Egypt fell upon the Egyptians and never touched them. Uh, all the miracles, the, the, the rock, that Moses struck and the water came out and they all had water. But sometimes, and we don't have the scripture to this, so I'm just gonna go this rote. There was a second time that Moses was being complained about, threatened, because they didn't have water. Do you remember that story? And the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock and he went over and struck the rock a second time. Do you remember that story? Anybody? Does anybody know why in the world the Lord would say to Moses, surely you will not enter the promised land because you struck the rock twice? Anybody have a clue? Because the Bible says in Corinthians that the rock that they carried with them, that they took with them in the wilderness was Christ. The symbolism, the types of the Old, and Old Testament. So that rock was there. So when the Lord had told him the first time to strike the rock, and he struck it, and water came out. He struck Christ, and water came from the rock and the living water. The second time, he told him to speak to the rock, and Moses hit the rock again. Why would that make God angry? Because God has to be true to the symbols and types in the Old Testament. When he struck the rock the second time, he struck rock, Christ the second time. Bam, representing a second death. God was so angry at Moses because Moses had struck Christ twice. Because the Lord said, Speak to it, not strike it. So even the man of God couldn't enter the promised land. Now, was he saved? Was he right? Was he God's man? Yep. But God has to be true even to those who have a high calling in their lives. And so in this situation, uh, even Moses could not get in. So in Numbers 14, 22, and 23, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Let's go on to 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, has followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. Caleb, and then later, and you'll see later, Joshua, the only two to get in. And the results of this, tell me, what are the results of this happening? 14, 33, and 34. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years. They will bear your whoredoms until your carcasses are wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you searched the land, 40 days, each day a year curse. Shall you bear your iniquities even 40 years, and you shall know my breach... A promise, a 40-year curse. So for 40 years, what experts say should have taken the nation of Israel three weeks? Wander until the unbelievers and the unfaithful die. Let me ask you, here's another question. I ask more questions than I give you information. How many of you have struggled through something for years that if God had taken control of, what could have been dealt with in a day? How many of you have struggled with things for all your life that if you had obeyed God at the moment that you made that decision, you'd have never had to deal with it? How many of you want your children to make a decision that will harm them all their lives, that they'll carry with them. They might get saved. They can still get saved. God will still save them. But they carry that burden with them of what they did, that disobedient act that they did way back then. Right? Are you with me? Do you understand? We make decisions and choices that just ruin us. And oftentimes, even after we've given our lives to the Lord, oh, major less, he is just such a happy guy. He's he's a fun guy to be around. He just loves the Lord, and I'm thinking, oh God, I wish I loved you as much as a lot of people think I do. God, I wish I didn't have those thoughts go through my mind, and I'm always fighting with them, the battles and that you're going through. And it's because of decisions I made when I was 12. And I still battle after all these years. Oh, I'm saved. I'm serving them. I'm seeking them. I'm praying like a crazy man that God will keep me delivered and keep me faithful and keep me honest and keep me pure. But those times when it's not happening, I'm saying, Lord, you got to save me now more than ever. So I'm not going. We're not going to do this today. But if you read the rest of chapter 14, you'll find out what happened to those men that came back with an evil report. God killed them with a plague. Now, I'm not even going to compare that to the plague we're going through in this day and age. I won't even compare it. It's not the same. But this was the punishment of God. And as we evaluate all that's taken place, I would just say to you that through all of this, through Moses leading the nation out of bondage and God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Well, you know, it's not really the Ten Commandments. There's like 600 a, Jew, a, a good friend of mine who sponsors trips to Israel every year, he's very good with a number of rabbis in Israel, and he tells me that he had said one day, how would I come and be, be, become a Jew? What would I have to do to become a Jew and to, to come and live here and totally convert to Judaism? And he, he will still remain a Christian. He's going to be a, a messianic Jew. And the rabbi looked at him and said, why in the world would you want to? You only have 10 commandments. We have hundreds. And uh, and they thought that was pretty funny, so and, and an interesting example of this: Matthew ten seventeen to twenty two. But beware of oh wait a minute, yep, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues. I'm sorry, I must I think I gave you the wrong scripture. Can you can you go to Mark? Ten, please. That's it. Thank you very much. That was a mistake on my part. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, kneeling to him, and asked Jesus, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, but honor your father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Stop right there, don't move it. Don't take it back, don't let them look ahead. So in that scripture, the rich young ruler who is not saved comes, he, he knows he doesn't have eternal life because he's asking, how can I get it? He says to Jesus, how do, I, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus quotes five or six things there that he must do. Did you notice anything about that? Does anything stand out there to you? Everything that Jesus says to him that he must do to inherit eternal life and the man responds, I've done all these things are all about the relationship with you and you. The man and his neighbor. Go back to them. We're going to read them again. Don't You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and mother. All about our relationship with our fellow man. What's missing? Whew. He says, we're going to go on now. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said to him, one thing you lack, go your way. So whatever you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. And what does the man do? And he was sad at the saying, went away grieved for he had great possessions. It doesn't have to be possessions, but for this man, it was. And what does God deal with? He says to him, how have you dealt with your fellow man? He says, I've done all these things, I'm in. And he says, but wait a minute, I'm lacking something yet because I've done all those things. The Lord looks to him and says, well, how's your relationship with God? You're a good neighbor, good husband, good dad, good grandpa, good wife, good mom, but you haven't given it to God. You need to do a new thing, sir. And the new thing is, Take everything that is taking God's place and get it out. Do you want a New Year's resolution that'll mount to something? Give God everything. The Israelites' relationship with God is kind of messed up. Exodus 20:19, And they said to Moses, speak with us and we'll hear, Moses. But don't let God speak with us lest we die. So this is what the people of the church were saying. We're saying, we'll listen to you, Moses. You speak to us. But we don't want to hear from God because it's burning fire on that mountain. We don't want to hear from him. We're afraid we're going to die if he speaks to us. We'll listen to you. What a joke. They've never listened to Moses. Every time, and Moses is saying, don't turn your back. Come on. He's at the, at the Red Sea. What happens? They're, all, they're complaining, oh, we're, we're hedged in. We're dead people. He holds up a staff and the Lord parts the water. They go through, kills the Egyptians. Get to the other side. They're complaining again. We don't have food. We don't have water. We don't have any Snickers bars. Go get some chocolate. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that i got to run to the store just for chocolate. Chocolate. Ice cream, maybe. Cho- chocolate. No, it's, we, have, we have forgotten to give God everything. We, we come in and we give him Sunday morning and think he's happy with us. We, we come in and we say, hey, I, I, I was there Sunday morning, I don't... I don't need to do anything else. And so as this is going on, uh, they never listened to God, and they never listened to Moses. In fact, many of the times, they wanted to kill the preacher. And a couple people threatened this morning when I told them I was going to have you change seats. They said, well, we're just leaving now. And I won't tell who said it. But... Um, they're saying, well, we don't like this preacher if he makes us change our seats. And you know, I imagine that there are some people who might even get offended at something like that. Now, you can't believe that, can you? People wouldn't be offended by that. It's a new guy in the church asking me to sit elsewhere. But I, I'll tell you the reason I do that. Because sometimes we just need shaken up in the church. People say, I want a church where I'm comfortable. Well, I could go out and pull in have a couple of the guys pull in the easy chairs out in the lobby and some of you could sit there, but the others who didn't get those chairs they'd be jealous. We could have some cots with some pillows. You could lay down and rest, or in church cuz you're tired on Sunday morning. Let's just make it comfortable. It's never been about comfort. In Judges 13:1, 40 years of bondage brought on by their own sin. This is another time now. 40 more years of bondage in the wilderness, brought about by disobedience. So you see, a, there was a continuous theme in these people disobey, not listen to God, and what does their life become? Tell me, anybody here this morning ever had this feeling? I'm just going in circles. My whole life, I'm just going in circles. It's the same thing day after day. Get up, pack a lunch, go to work, work eight hours, go home, watch a little bit of TV, go to bed, get up, head to work, work for eight hours, circling. And before life, before long your life is past and you look and say, all I've done is walk in circles. There was somebody else who ended up walking in circles. And that was Samson. Samson was a deliverer, raised up to be God's man. And it's interesting that if you read these scriptures, and, uh, and we're not going to go through all these scriptures because I've gone long enough. I've kept you long enough this morning. You're ready to go home. But he is called to be a deliverer. And, this, and if you read the scripture in, uh, I believe it's Judges 13 right, guys? Okay. Uh, Go ahead and put it up. We'll do it quickly. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, said to her, behold, now you are barren and you have not had a son, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And therefore beware, I pray you, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, or eat not any unclean thing. For lo, Thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive, and this is his wife now speaking to her husband, Behold, you will conceive and bear a son, and drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death." Now, in those, that scripture, what do you see as you went along there and as she recites to her husband what the child is supposed to be? Supposed to be a Nazarite, not touch strong drink. But wait a minute, where did Simpson, Samson get his strength? Any of the children know this? Yell it out. His hair! Oh, wait a minute, we're taught that. But it's interesting here that it's not just, and he'll never cut his hair. Uh, you'll never drink strong drink. No wine. You'll never eat any unclean thing. You'll be a Nazarite. And there were lots of Nazarite vows. And it's interesting when the woman tells her husband the commands, he does, she does not mention the hair. Now, it's interesting later in that scripture, in Judges, uh, Delilah is tempting him. And so uh, look with me to chapter 16, verse 9. Now there were men lying in wait because they, have said, to, they said to the woman, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. You, you trick him, we'll pay you all kinds of money. We'll make you a rich woman if you get him to reveal the secret of his strength. So they were lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber, the enemies, the Philistines. And she said to them, the Philistines are upon thee, Samson. And he broke the withs as he was tied with new ropes and, and uh, all these different things that she was trying to, he was trying to get. Um, he was teasing her. He was jerking her around. So she had tied him up. He broke them. Uh, the bow is broken when it touches, like the bow is broken when it touches the fire. So his strength was not known. he. he Threw them out. He beat them. Delilah says to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me. You told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, uh, how you might be bound and your strength gone. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that were never occupied, then shall I be weakened as other men. And you know it didn't happen because he broke the ropes and he's out. Delilah therefore took the ropes, bound him. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And there were liars and wait in the chamber. He broke them from his arms like a thread. And Delilah says, Samson, you've mocked me again. You've told me lies. How can you say you love me? If you weave... Now, how can I get your strength, the secret of your strength? And he says, if you weave the seven locks of my head in a web. He's starting to get grieved by the questions. And as he's being grieved by the questions, he... He's getting closer to the truth. I have written into my, margin of my Bible, aha, we're getting close. It's my hair, if you weave it. Can we go on? Is that where I stopped right there? Okay, do me a favor, go to verse 10 to 12. Oh, we did that, sorry. 13 to 14, we got that. 15 to 20. Oh, he fastened it with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon thee, waked out of his sleep, went away with the pin of the beam and with the web, and he has all his strength. He's been unaffected. His hair was not cut. Like you said, his hair, right? Let's go to the next one. She said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me wherein your great strength lies. Now come on, Samson, where do you get your strength? Come on, honey, where do you get it? Come on. You men don't know what it's like to be nagged like that. (laughs) And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, his soul was vexed unto death. He told her all his heart. There has never been a razor on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, my strength will go from me, and I'll become weak and be like other men. Hold it right there. Because what happens is now he's told the truth. After being coaxed, he has told the truth. Finally, you cut my hair. But was it really the hair? That's my question. Because he had also had a vow that he never drink strong drink, and he's been Drinking it up with the Philistines and women, prostitutes. He was never supposed to know ungodly women. And he's running around with prostitutes. He is, all this stuff is going on. I believe that the answer comes up next. Because what happens in all of this is Samson has broken every vow he had made to God. No wine, no strong drink, uh, the food you eat, hey, don't cut the hair. And he had broken all the other vows. The only one left was the hair. And when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all your heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength won from him. And she said, the Philistines are on you, Samson. He woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out just like I always have. I will shake myself. And he knew not the Lord was departed from him. We teach in Sunday school. It was the hair. It was the Lord. It was the Spirit of God within him. Amen. That God had anointed him from the very start to be a deliverer of Israel. And the hair was part of it. But he, the Lord was gone, gone from him. Now the strange thing is he can't recognize it. Doesn't that make you want to cry out? Doesn't that make you want to run to the altar and say, Lord, have I lost your Spirit? Is it gone? Is he gone from me? Because he says, I will get up just like I always have. I'm the man. And he knew not the spirit was gone from him. And they come in. And what happens? Let's go on. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. Stop right there. The Philistines only do in the physical what God had already done in the spiritual His spiritual eyesight is gone. His spiritual eyesight is, he can't see a thing. So the Philistines now, because they have control, because he has given in and rebelled against every aspect of what God promised him, the Philistines put out his eyes. And I want to know if the world has put out yours. I want to know. And what do they do to him? They bind him with fetters of brass and he grind, he did grind in the prison house. They tied him like a mule and he's walking in circles, grinding the grain like an animal, blind. But he doesn't have to have eyesight to do that. He doesn't have to have spiritual eyesight to get up and go to work in the morning. He doesn't have to have spiritual eyesight to turn on the TV and watch the football game. He's just walking in circles. So what the happens? I'll draw this to a close this way. A nation that rebels against God will be blinded and walk in circles. And an individual who's been blinded by the world, many who once loved God with all their heart and were filled with strength are walking in circles saying, what is this Christianity stuff all about? It doesn't work. Samson doesn't feel any different. Oh, it was some nice songs this morning. Boy, that that new guy in the church—he gets kind of wild. He's a little crazy. But yeah, it was some nice scripture. It was exciting, but not recognizable. It's different. The Spirit's gone. The only thing left to experience are the consequences. What results do you want this year? What results do you want today? Do you want a new filling? Send a new touch of power on my soul, Lord. Send it now, Lord. Send it now, Touch my lips with a coal from your altar, Lord. Send a new touch of power on my soul. What consequences will you face if your eyesight is gone? Something's just different. I would just like uh, uh, said There's the perfect example today that occurred during the music rehearsal. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. There's a, something happened during the music rehearsal. They were up here practicing and one person was singing a song and another person was giving the beat and everybody was discussing. And the question rose, are we playing this slower than usual? Something's just not right. And, and I went over and I said, isn't it amazing that we can sing a song a hundred times, and the 101st time, something just doesn't sound right. It's, it can be exactly the same, and we're just like, it's almost like there's musical confusion. But, the, but in this, that's how it can be in the Spirit. Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm glad to be at church. I, I love coming to church, but things just don't seem right this morning. Things just don't seem right. What do I need the Lord to do? God, uh, sing it for me. Sing it for me. Tell, tell me what I need to do. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not.